You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk for minutes and 20 seconds. We are experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, March 31st, 2022. This is episode number 248. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 28,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you would like to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about New Mexico opens for adult use tomorrow, but there are some issues. CBD and COVID, Washington Liquor and Cannabis Board wants safe banking, pro-legalization Republican explains his opposition to a cannabis bill, Pennsylvania Health Department sued over a cannabis vape product, Maui to get a new dispensary, secondhand smoke from bongs, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lameet. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Oh, man. So I got some shit for y'all <laughs> coming out of um, the Miami Herald from uh, Julian Marnin. Cannabis companies say their CBD products treat COVID, but the FDA says they are wrong. The Food and Drug Administration is saying several cannabis companies are falsely advertising with claims they can cure, treat, and even prevent COVID-19 in their CBD products. They apparently felt so strong about said premonitions that they sent out warning letters through the Federal Trade Commission. That's right. The FDA says a robust total of seven companies are using research studies to claim or imply misleading, misleadingly that their CBD products can help when it comes to COVID-19. The agency issued a sternly written joint warning letters um, with the FTC to each of the businesses, sternly stating the FDA has not approved or authorized any drug containing CBD for the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. The, co- the companies. Included on the new FDA hit list are Curagenics, Heavens Organics LLC, Functional Remedies LLC, Greenway Herbal Products LLC, CBD Social, Upsy LLC, and Nature's Highway. CBD or cannabidiol, which is also sometimes weirdly pronounced cannabidiol, according to the Miami Herald, is one of over 400 ingredients which make up the marijuana plant and is sometimes legally sold in stores. Sounds pretty fucking dangerous to me. The FDA warnings come amid a a growing body of studies analyzing how certain cannabis compounds may work against the virus. McClashkey News reported one such study published in January suggested a high purity dose of CBD could block a COVID-19 infection. CBD Social, one of the threatened companies on the FDA's hit list, cited a study on their website and received a letter on March 28th accusing them of misleadingly representing their products contain a compound that was safe or effective for the treatment of prevent or prevention of COVID-19. The FDA's portion of their letter uh, read, 
We request that you take immediate action to cease the sale of any unapproved or unauthorized products for the mitigation, prevention, treatment, diagnosis, or cure of COVID-19. The FTC's portion of the same letter uh, printed out, cease and desist. We cease and with a cease and desist demand stating it is unlawful to advertise that a product can prevent, treat, or cure human disease unless you possess competent and reliable scientific evidence. Though the FDA's part varied, the same FTC demand was included in each letter. Also in the article, another scarlet lettered company, Nature's Highway, shared an online graphic titled CBD and COVID-19, Breathe Easier, accompanied with the subtitle, several recent studies suggest that CBD with other phytochemicals found in hemp might open up your lungs, fight inflammation there, and kick your immune system into higher gear. According to the article, FDA's demanding companies revise their websites and product labels to ensure they're not falsely representing as safe and effective COVID-19-related use. And failure to adequately correct any violations may result in legal action, including without limitation, seizure, and injunction. But here's the thing. The FDA's approved six drugs, six, for Alzheimer's treatment. None of them, zero, have any proven results benefiting their patients. According to the Lightfoot Law um, website, there have been 12,787 total drug recalls issued by the FDA since, 12, uh, since 2012. 1,317 class one drugs, 10,168 class two, and on average, that's 1,279 drugs every year up to 2020. Since the beginning of the pandemic, 36. What's really going on here? For all the emergency FDA approvals that have been pushed out, CBD can't get approved even after a slew of scientific research showing promise. And before y'all label me an anti-vax conspiracy theorist, I'd like you all to know that I'm definitely not. I'm triple vax, babies. But why the fuck should we listen to the FDA at this point when we know that they're run by the same shit that runs everything else in this world? Money. Follow that if you want the real answers. Or you can just continue to obey, tap into the same bullshit 24-hour news cycle worrying about what they want you to worry about. But the choice is yours. There's Rico Lamite, the dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I've been smoking weed every day, gobbling all kinds of high-quality CBD gummies since the first lockdown. And the first time I got sick in the last two years, last weekend from damn Disneyland stomach virus. Fuck Mickey Mouse. Back to you, Susan. I just read that uh, Los Angeles County is authorized the second booster shot. So, um, yeah, we're going to get boosted again. I'm just saying the FDA ain't shit. And they're coming, they're cracking down on a bunch of CBD companies for reposting articles. Like, I, I literally, that, the other one, could CBD be uh, help you out with uh, COVID preparation? And they're getting warning letters from the, FD, uh, from the FDA. It, it's the not FDC. right. It's definitely not right, Rico. But, you know, I, I, I think most of us really love the cannabis plant. But, and we do think it's magical, but it isn't magic. You know, we can't, we've got to be really careful. We don't want to confuse consumers. You know, just because the FDA is fucked up doesn't mean that we need to be as well. No, I, I agree with all of that. Like 100%. I agree with all of that. But you're cracking down on these companies for pointing to scientific studies. You want us to, to, to re, reach for the science, and the FDA is not using science with anything that they're doing and anything they're saying right now, and they're being exposed. So there's a lot of hypocrisy here, and cannabis is an easy target for them. Rico, I, I, agree, I agree with you completely, which is rare, uh, that the FDA <laughs> is not doing their job. The FDA has been punting on cannabis for the past several years, and it's ridiculous, and they've been turning down cannabis companies left and right. Although my question to you would be, is that all that they're simply doing is reposting articles? Because frankly, I can't imagine that the FDA is really wasting their time on that kind of bullshit. Um, I, I feel like there has to be something a bit more, some type of advertising or something that would be called to their attention to get them to send a warning letter. The two examples used in the article, all they did was repost. That's it. And they pointed to studies, like like literally... Uh, pointed to studies as we have pointed to studies as, as multiple other people have pointed to studies saying these doctors are saying that this could be a way to prepare yourself to better fight off COVID. I don't think the companies are not at fault here. I think that they, they didn't do the studies themselves. And if they want to claim that their product is, is preventing COVID, they have to do a study on their product rather than, go on some other study for some other compound that has nothing to do 
with their products. So, uh, you know, usually I'm, um, I'm criticizing the FDA, but this time I think they're right. All these hemp CBD snake oil salesmen need to stop with this bullshit. They need to properly label their packaging. And I'm totally with the FDA cracking down on them for making these auspicious claims because it doesn't serve anyone in the public's general interest any good whatsoever. They're not making the claims, Jason. Look, look at the, if you look at the article, click on the links. You can go to these companies' website. They're pointing to – the second one was kind of clickbaity. I'd say that. But, but the other one, it literally pointed to a study, a scientific study. The McClashkey study um, that, that shows that it does help with protecting the same uh, the same one that we talked about last week, uh, D- uh, Doctor John. Yeah, but it th- but it doesn't open up your lungs. Uh, the, you know, I don't know where they got that. And and you well, that's have... the second one. I'm talking about the first. Oh, okay, one. the first one just points to the article. It doesn't even have any clickbaity links or anything like that. If they're just educating about a study, that's fine, as long as they leave their product out of it. Based off of the article, there isn't any reason why the public at all should be reliant upon the FDA for medical advice. I mean, and I think they are that petty. I've gotten a strike multiple times on YouTube for talking about the virus that shall not be named, and it's ridiculous. So the censorship police are out there, and it's real. Can't talk about anything. Well, we can talk about it here on the State of Cannabis News Hour. That's yeah, yeah. one of the reasons I I love Clubhouse. Freedom of information. Yeah. All right. Anyone else before we move on? Okay. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provo- <clears throat> provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. His Midas Touch is taking the State of Cannabis News Hour to the next level. What you got today, Jason? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Susan. Hope everyone's having a fantastic Thursday today. And you know what my story's about? That's right. Pass safe banking, guys, where the Washington Liquor and Cannabis Board panelists want safe banking for pot shops. There was there was no easy answer at a Tuesday virtual roundtable held by the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Control Board to address retail cannabis shop safety in the aftermath of a of, of separate deadly robberies targeting cannabis shops in the state. But the consensus was banking reform for cannabis retailers would be a great start. LCB Chair David Postman led the discussion among panelists that included state officials, industry experts, and pot shop owners. <coughs> Excuse me. Postman called the situation a massive public safety crisis that's roaring through the state. He went on to note, by some accountings, there, there's been 70-plus robberies of Washington cannabis stores in Washington State this year alone. The Washington Cannabis Business Association, WACA, and I just I can't help myself. I just feel like saying Fozzie Bear and Waka 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 says there have been about 75 robberies at marijuana retailers since the start of this year. WACA has put together a list of information on such robberies going back to 2017. We could be approaching one day, Postman said. Some of these robberies have been lethal. 29-year-old employee Jordan Brown and Gabe Harbor were shot and killed on March 19th when two teens allegedly robbed the world of weed dispensary in Tacoma. Conventional wisdom is marijuana shops are targeted because they are all cash businesses. And State Treasurer Mike Pellicotti wants to change that. He has been lobbying the U.S. Senate to pass the Secure and Fair Enforcement, better known Safe Banking Act, which would allow cannabis businesses to use credit cards, debit cards, and other banking services instead of being only cash businesses. The focus that I have had on engaging this issue is the fact that it is beyond any measure of anything that makes sense is that the cannabis businesses and retailers in our state and around the country are unable to bank and have to rely on cash, Pelicotti said. And while it may not be the full fix for the situation, we all recognize it's a major contributing factor for a lot of violence that we're seeing. Michael Correa, director of the government relations for the National Cannabis Industry Association, better known as the NCIA, also expressed frustration with Safe Banking Act lingering in Congress, specifically with regard to tensions among elected officials on whether to support incremental reforms such as Safe Banking Act or comprehensive marijuana legalization provisions. And he says this is not about 
uh, fat cat Wall Street bankers making money. He said, this is about lowering the cost of capital. This is about helping small businesses. This is about helping minority businesses. And this is about safety. Well, Michael Correa, I totally agree with you on your talking points on, on this one because those are all facts of the matter. And anyone that isn't is just backwards fucking crazy. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Passive banking. Yeah, Gretchen. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, I mean, they really need to pass safe banking. I feel like the politicians that are holding out, I mean, people are dying because safe banking is not available. And, you know, if the politicians could be painted as they're letting people die because they won't just let cannabis businesses bank, maybe this thing could be pushed through and pushed over the edge because it's really sad to hear that innocent employees at dispensaries are are losing their lives simply because criminals know cash is stored there and it's potentially accessible and the, the business owners themselves are then uh, left in the fray it's hard to recover the insurance policies are expensive and you know then it frustrates your ability to compete it's terrible past safe banking it's so dumb it hasn't happened yet no the That's more what I'm talking act, about the, the more act has safe banking in it it's like it, and Mitch McConnell wouldn't even let it on the floor when he was the head of the Senate. And so it's been there, it's hanging there in the wind, and the, they won't do it because, you know, they're worried about black and brown people getting shot now, but what about letting them out of jail because they've been sitting there for two or three decades? It's all there, they just won't do the right thing. Mitch also had the opportunity to put the Moore Act on the floor, and he did That's what I'm saying. It. Mitch did, did not do it. So let's you, talk Chris. about how Mitch, Mitch is putting innocent people's lives at risk. Like, turn up the heat on these well, politicians no that are letting people now it's die. Schumer who's uh, fall, falling short, a Democrat here. That's right. Another Mitch will Democrat put it on the floor. Chuck Schumer will put it on the floor and talk about it. Mitch Chuck Schumer, 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 not putting anything Schumer on the floor. refuses to bring it to news. the floor. Him and Cory Booker are dying on their store to keep safe banking uh, off the fucking floor. 100% for safe banking. And the rest of them are dying on the sword to put safe banking on there. So, I mean, is it, all of them are bad. All of them. Pass safe banking. <laughs> <laughs> Round around we go. All right. So up next, she's a badass cannabis mom, the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, and organic source of the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in all of America. It's been proven. Up next is Lara DeCaro. What you got for us? Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you for that, Rico. Um, well, today I have another story out of the land of enchantment, otherwise known as the land of manana, <laughs> for those of us who live there. Um, it is Medical cannabis patients wary as commercial sales begin in New Mexico. It's by Dan Boyd, who is the bureau chief for the Albuquerque Journal. He starts off with New Mexico is poised to launch the commercial cannabis sales on Friday. The Department of Health is trying to reassure the roughly 132,000 New Mexicans enrolled in the state's medical marijuana program that they won't be left empty-handed. But the medical cannabis advocates remain concerned, citing past supply shortages and access issues. The state has apparently alerted the medical cannabis users that they will also no longer be able to use the curbside delivery services that a lot of states implemented at the beginning of COVID-19. So it's going to be a, a hard reality for the medical patients. Patient Jason Barker is quoted as saying, right now, he says, patients have access to 100% of the supply of the licensed dispensaries, <laughs> and we're still having issues. But Heather Brewer, the Cannabis Control Division spokesperson, pointed out that the new rules adopted after 21 um, allow licensed couriers to also make home deliveries. So the article didn't go into depth on this, but um, the the courier system is actually this sort of separate license type that allows licensed retailers to contract with a third party or another um, licensee to take their goods to individuals who are 21 and over for uh, commercial retail or 18 and over if they are a qualified patient with a card. 
Anyway, back to the article. Meanwhile, the Cannabis Control Division Director Kristen Thompson on Tuesday said it is actually likely that the retailers will sell out on Friday. So Thompson didn't make any guarantees, um, but she cited that there are some guardrails in New Mexico's adult use cannabis law intended to protect the medical cannabis patients, including that producers reserve at least 20% of their cultivated plants for enrolled medical patients. The Department of Health also recently increased the amount of cannabis those licensed patients can obtain uh, in preparation for the potential run on retailers. Uh, you know, it's important to point out that medical patients can purchase through the adult market, but adult use is taxed and medicinal is not. And the excise tax for marijuana sales or cannabis sales, sorry, in, um, in New Mexico is 12% with gross receipts tax levied on top of that. So I don't know what the effective tax rate is, but it, it is a big difference if you're a patient. Patients need to be authorized for a license by a healthcare professional. And um, they must hold the registry ID card. According to the uh, Department of Public Health website, it can take up to 30 days to approve a patient's application. Another five just to print it. And then they mail it. (laughs) So they say, please be patient with us. They currently recognize 28 qualifying conditions in New Mexico, including chronic pain and post-traumatic stress disorder. There's two conditions cited as the majority of enrolled patients nationwide. So anyway, I think it's kind of interesting. New Mexico is trying to implement a system, a dual system. We'll see how well they do with it. Um, But, you know, in a state of just about 2 million people, we have less people in the entire state than you guys have in all of Los Angeles. Um, We'll we'll see how this this plays out. My name is Laura DeCaro reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour. We've got uh, Jay Cannabis up from the audience. Did you want to weigh in on Lara's headline? I do. Thank you so much, Laura, for continuing to report on my state. Everyone's real excited. There's a lot of pe- people that are not ready, including myself. Um, I'm hearing some dispensaries will open next month in a couple of months. Um, the medical dispensaries that are already up and established will be good to go, but I think the new guys will have some time catching up to the medical guys. But, yeah, it's exciting. RLD has been doing a good job by licensing people. And, yeah, it's exciting time. Thanks, guys. Let's give, we're at time, but let's give Lakeisha the last word. This is interesting for me because seeing their growing pains and here in Louisiana, we are having um, a plethora of issues. So I'm going to be watching this to see how their market opens more for commercial um, distribution since we only have the two cultivation centers and nine dispensary pharmacies here. So, yeah, thank you for that article. Oh, yeah, that was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Laura, for bringing that article to us this morning. And up next, we have Gretchen Gailey, this feisty redhead conservative, proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by pot-loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider coming up next to the stage, it's Gretchen Gailey. What do you have today for us, girl? Well, good afternoon, Jason. I have a little more on everyone's not-so-favorite bill, the MORE Act. Uh, My uh, story comes from Marijuana Moment. Pro-legalization GOP congressman office explains opposition marijuana bill and other resources to colleagues. As the House prepares to vote on a bill to federally legalize marijuana this week, the office of a key Republican congressman who supports ending federal prohibition circulated a letter to fellow GOP members yesterday offering guidance on the current cannabis policy landscape while explaining why he intends to vote against the Democratic-led reform legislation as drafted. Uh, The letter from the Office of Representative Dave Joyce, a co-chair of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, says he remains willing to, quote, serve a resource for anyone looking to talk through uh, marijuana policy issues as the chamber gets ready for a floor vote on the MORE Act comes a month after Joyce separately sent a letter to Nadler, uh, the bill's uh, sponsor, expressing his commitment to ending federal marijuana prohibition, enacting sensible regulations, and reversing the injustices that have resulted from nearly a century of criminalization. Uh, The letter to the sponsor says that an outlook for substantial and immediate reform has grown immensely more positive since I first engaged on this issue in 2013. However, it remains clear at this juncture, any effort on cannabis reform must have substantial bipartisan support to be successful. 
Luckily, as the breath of cannabis-related legislation introduced in the past year indicates, this is neither a Democrat nor Republican issue. It is a bipartisan one. Joyce added, saying that he is willing and ready to work with you to refine the MORE Act so that it can garner adequate bipartisan support. It doesn't appear that the offer was taken up. Um, as a newer letter from jo- Joyce's office to GOP congressional staff made it clear, from his perspective, the MORE Act in its current form is unworkable. The bill has remained mostly unchanged, but for a few technical amendments since it was reintroduced last year. As the Cannabis Caucus Republican co-chair, Congressman Joyce wants to be sure all GOP offices are equipped with any cannabis information they need. Uh, The reasons that he is against the MORE Act uh, is he says it would punish those who have made a point to operate legally at their own personal cost by placing an additional tax on legal operators to pay for the cost of industry access for illegal operators. Uh, He also says that the MORE Act has a lack of responsible regulatory framework upon ending federal prohibition. Uh, The letter states, if the MORE Act is enacted, individual states will be left to sort out issues typically reserved for federal agencies, such as label requirements and safety instructions. Uh, It boggles the mind, uh, especially mind that this 500-page piece of legislation doesn't do what it needs to do, which is actually set up and regulate the industry, which is what Dave Joyce has an issue with. Um, And what we're seeing here, if he's telling people not to vote for it, I can pretty much guess that you're not going to see much Republican support at all. Last time around, it only had uh, five Republican votes going for it. Uh, I don't think this thing is going to pass. I think we should just put it to bed, shoot it, throw it in a coffin now. The MORE Act is dead. This scratch from first, State of Kansas, New York. So you call no it the, more, no, more. the No More Act? <laughs> you beat me to it, Jason. E- even if it does, by some miracle, pass the House. Chuck Schumer is never going to let it see the light of day on the floor of the Senate. 100% Chuck Schumer is never going to let this up there, especially when he has a competing bill that he's trying to introduce in the Senate. I really don't see how hard it is just to give, you know, I'm for safe banking if you give priority to applicants and to BIPOC communities. Give priority to them on safe banking and free the fucking prisoners. That's it. Not not just expungement. Expungement doesn't really do shit like right off the bat. Free the prisoners and give priority to banking to the people who need banking, not the people who already can get banking. Well, the expungement that they're proposing, Rico, in the Hope Act is expungement on the state level. And there's by far a lot more people who have issues on the state level with uh, marijuana convictions than there are on the federal level. The federal level is only taken care of by the Moore Act and the CAOA. And the way that the Hope Act is also set up is that this would automatically happen. People don't need to get uh, attorneys. They don't need to, you know, submit and try and hope and get an answer from the state. The HOPE Act would tell people, fuckers, you got to do this, whether you like it or not. The state, you have to do this, and no one has to ask you to do it. It just has to be done. And they want to pair the HOPE Act with safe banking to get them through, and that's what they're going, that's what they're willing to pass this year. All they need is for Chuck Schumer to get the fuck out of the way. We're at time on this headline, but I wanted to hear from Menica and then Cody Peterson, I think longtime listener, first time caller. Let's uh, hear from you and then we need to move. Thanks so much for bringing that article, Gretchen. Uh, I kind of noticed that the, there's some coded language in there. So it, you mentioned um, that they're against uh, paying for illegal operators to enter the industry, which sounds kind of like code word for um, you know, we don't want to pay this tax that funds social equity programs. Uh, and furthermore, you know, the the regulation at the federal level is one of the issues that I have with the MORE Act. It adds another layer on top of what's already been created at the state levels and then could create many conflicts. So I appreciate you, uh, you bringing up some of the Republican opposition, but I think some of that is uh, a little bit, it, it's, it's definitely speaking through the side of their mouths. Dog whistle-ish. That's, That's what, what we do best in do. Washington, Minica. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you. Cody, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all of this is great progress. I don't want to minimize it, but I agree more is dead on arrival. Um, it also, you know, it does, a, it does declare that, that it will respect a little more states' rights than, say, the CAOA, which kicks all of this to to the feds. And I just want to point out something that I think started this whole revolution that's being lost with all of these reforms. There is no mention of patients. There is no mention of mandatory, 
like for example, if you you are a medical patient in one state, you should be legally allowed to travel to another, even though Louisiana makes it illegal. Fuck that. This is medicine, and we need to start treating it, uh, you know, in its own way, um, somewhat similarly. I, I fear that if we don't declare this right, cannabis, herbal, botanical is medicine. Then what the FDA is, they're gonna they're gonna slap a bunch of labels, prescription labels on on uh, you know pharmacy only products, and we're gonna have another disparity, and we're gonna have medical patients who need medical help going to the retail side and getting the wrong advice, or or just um, not getting the right outcomes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, Jean. Did you want to say a last word? No, just wanted to cheer. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much. We are going to relight the room. Into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker in State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's. He's an award-winning journalist with a multicultural background and a fifth-generation Californio, known to many as a freedom-fighting farmer's friend. This writer, brand consultant, event promoter, and content ninja does it all in the name of uncovering international truths the lamestream media does not want you to see. Eric Hislereta, what you got for us today, my man? Hey, Rico. Thank you for that intro. Um, hey, everybody. Great to be here today. Happy Cesar Chavez Day. Um, my headline is from the Honolulu Star Bulletin, and it's Hawaii Cannabis Industry Expands with Additional Maui Dispensaries and New Edibles Options. So whether you're planning a trip to Hawaii this year or just curious about how weed works in Aloha State, I thought this article had some timely info. I'm quoting here, Maui Grown Therapies on Friday will open its third medical cannabis uh, dispensary, this one in Pukalani. Uh, the move comes after the company received a, a Department of Health authorization after passing a final uh, on-site inspection. Maui Grown Therapies' new dispensary will improve access to patients in upcountry Maui, said Michelle Nakata, program manager of DOH's Office of Medical Cannabis Control and Regulation. The company already had outlets in Lahaina and Kahului. In another sign of expansion in Hawaii's medical cannabis industry, two co companies announced they are offering new cannabis-infused products after the DOH issued revised rules last month allowing for the sale of chocolates, beverages, brownies, cookies, and other edibles at licensed dispensaries. Aloha Green Cannabis Collection, which operates Aloha Green Apothecary locations in Waikiki near the airport and on South King Street, began sales today of its lightly carbonated drink called Tiny Bubbles that contains low doses of THC and CBD. Hawaiian Ethos announced earlier this month that it is selling the first legal cannabis-infused chocolates to be offered in the state. Uh, as of February 28, a total of 34,126 in-state medical cannabis patients and 2,738 caregivers were registered statewide, including 6,514 patients and over 500 caregivers on Maui, according to DOH. The primary reported condition for registered adult patients is severe pain. The primary reported condition for children under 18 years of age are seizures and post-traumatic stress disorder. In addition to the three already mentioned, other licensed medical cannabis retail centers statewide include Big Island Grown with locations in Hilo, Waimea, and Kailua Kona, Green Aloha's dispensary in Kapa'a, uh, Kauai, uh, Pono Life Sciences in Kahului, and Cure Oahu's retail stores in Kapahulu and Kapolei, and Noah Botanicals on Young Street in Kaneohe and Aia. Um, I'm going to throw a shaka out to Hawaii regarding their purchase caps. Uh, registered patients and caregivers may purchase up to four ounces of medical cannabis during any 15-day period, with a maximum purchase of eight ounces over a 30-day period. Uh, and for you travelers, um, here's... Um, how the medical cannabis uh, uh, protocol works over there. All, medica all medical cannabis use must be on private property. It cannot be used in moving vehicles, at work, at the beach, on hiking trails, or in any other public space. It is illegal to use or possess medical cannabis on any federally owned property, such as military installations and national parks. Um, there's also a website on this article if you want to get deeper info. And if you do want to get a med card, you have to get a recommendation from a licensed doctor or RN. 
uh, register with the DOH on their website and get what's called a 329 card. And I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Aloha. Thank you for having me up. I just had a. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say shout out to Hawaii, man. I love the, love that place, and um, I know they've been really really slow with their regulation and everything, but um, hopefully they're getting it right. I just had an email from a patient this morning, actually, who's in Hawaii, and she was getting her card, but they require you to get. She's from California. They require you to get the state California card, bring it over there, and then you can get the state Hawaii card. So it's a long process that you should start uh, before you travel there if you want to get the state Hawaii card. Yeah, thank um, you for bringing that up, Sean. I, I, I was just going to say, because I was just there earlier this month, and I found that out. So, yeah, you just can't show up. Um, you don't need a Hawaii state license, though. You can use your passport, um, too, when you're over there. So if, you don't, if you're not a resident. So you can get it if you're uh, uh, non-local, though. Right. I, I have patients also telling me that they just bring their doctor's rec and go straight to the dispensary rather than trying to get a card first in Hawaii. And that works sometimes. Kimo, did you want to weigh in? Yeah, no, um, I'm of uh, Hawaiian indigenous descent, and I think it's great that they are expanding access. But uh, A, having to have a California state card to come in is still restrictive to people that are gun owners that don't that don't uh, participate in that system. And I also want to point out the fact that there is not one Hawaiian indigenous owned dispensary in the state of Hawaii. It is all California and Colorado money, and this is just really expanding to, you know, just to uh, uh, rich tourists and does zero for the native uh, Hawaiian community. That sucks. I do love the Tiny Bubbles, though. If you don't know, Don Ho had a song called Tiny Bubbles. It's Oh, yeah, my dad uh, dated his daughter. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amazing. As Kimo probably knows, they have, you know, the thing about Hawaii, they have deep genetics over there, and they have a really long, great tradition, you know, with the great ag over there so the the product local product is great if you can get it yeah they just need to do more for the community hawaii is the hardest place to make a living in the entire country and the only state where the largest employer is the state so they got a long lot of work to do and the military let's keep let's keep smoking the news we need to move all right, coming up next, we have Dr. Gene Talleyrand. He's the founder of Medican and co-founder of CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization, a real industry OG representing the people with the utmost compassion. Coming up to the stage, we have Dr. Gene Talleyrand. What you got for us, Doug? Uh, thanks, Jason. Hello, everyone. This correspondence is dedicated to reggae artist Donald Tabby Shaw, of the Mighty Diamonds, who was shot two days ago in Jamaican gang-related violence. I'm going to ask you guys to think for a second. Stephen Marley has a song titled Ina Di Red, which according to my dear Jamaican friend and brother Evans Valerie, means in the center, our heart of a situation. An article published last week in Cannabis and Cannabinoid Research which is a peer-reviewed scientific journal, reported on a study done in Ontario, Canada, on the rationale for cannabis use before and after legalization. The study sampled 254 respondents living in Hamilton, Ontario. 61% were female with a mean age of 33 years old. It found that 25% of the respondents who previously claimed exclusive medical cannabis use switched to reporting either dual medical and non-medical cannabis use, or just non-medical cannabis use. Another 25% of respondents who previously claimed dual cannabis use switched to reporting exclusively non-medical cannabis use after legalization laws were passed. The younger male demographic, of course, was more likely to report non-medical cannabis use. To some, this study seems a waste of time and effort. Tell us something we don't know, you might say. Medical cannabis laws gave access to people who want to use cannabis for non-medical reasons. To me, this story brings up an unresolved issue. The distinction is not so obvious. Why do you use cannabis? Is it for medical purpose or non-medical purpose? As a medical cannabis physician, for 20 years I've heard all sorts of stories as to why people use Anxiety, depression, poor sleep, pain, and headaches are the most common reasons reported in this Canadian study, 
Most respondents reported cannabis as a substitute for prescription medicine. About half reported cannabis as a substitute for alcohol. For those who claim to use cannabis for non-medical cannabis reasons, but pull out a joint to relax, to relieve stress, to prevent anger, or and be a better parent or a better student, I suggest that maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of medicine in your non-medical cannabis use. In a time where mental health is poorly acknowledged or underreported, I understand why one might claim their use is not medical. To summarize, I'll quote Stephen Marley's song. I didn't get to sleep, no sleep at all last night. My shoulders were as heavy as lead. I felt something was just not right. I had to roll a little spliff for my head. So I took a walk inside and talked to I, myself. Try to free these pains of mine. Oh, Ja, give us strength. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand reporting on Cannabis and Health from the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you, Dr. Jean, for gracing us with some poetry this morning and some serious um, things to think about. You're welcome. Dr. Jean, thank you for bringing that up, man. It broke my heart when I heard about uh, that. You know, the Mighty Diamonds are a big fan. I've seen them live a couple of times. Um, so, that, yeah, that was a heartbreaker. That was very, very rough. Very rough. I know um, that they were actually... That um, um, that Tabby was um, actually friends with my wife's um, late father as well, um, Ronnie from the Itals. So this one actually did uh, hit a little close to home, and I and I saw it on Facebook from a, a few of my in-laws like, posting about it. So very very tough news to hear this. Yeah, we got to stop killing each other. Smoke weed every day. That was pretty emotional. Let's keep moving. Yeah, let's. All right. So up next, we have the governor himself. He's the Fresno-based purveyor of truth, never letting the vices of mass media silence him, never afraid to step up against the likes of the biggest politicians across the stage. And um, one of my favorite people on stage with us today as well. He is a black conservative and... um, (laughs) He goes by Nicholas Wildstar. What you got for us this morning, my man? Appreciate it, man. I'm just a little guy trying to do big things like you, brother. <laughs> uh, well, listen, to na- it's National Farm Workers Day, State of Cannabis. Be sure to say thank you to your local cannabis farm workers. If you know who they are, it's because of them that you have that lovely bud go from farm to fatty. So show some appreciation. If you're in Denver and looking for a place to blaze up, check out Tetra Lounge, which is one of the first cannabis consumption businesses in the nation as part of its push to bring social equity to an industry that has boomed since marijuana legalization in 2012. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock and Governor Gerald uh, Jared Polis, hope I'm saying that correctly, are celebrating the latest cannabis consumption business in the Mile High City. The owner of Tetra Lounge and Melanated Mega Man, Dwayne Benjamin, was joined by the governor and the mayor as part of the celebration Wednesday. The lounge has been approved by the se- by the state as a marijuana hospitality establishment. It is at the tail end of the process of obtaining a license from the city and county of Denver to legally operate and needs to pass an inspection before opening to the public. According to Denver's Cannabis Business and Employment Opportunity Study, nearly 75% of owners of cannabis, uh, licensed cannabis businesses within the city and county limits are white, as are 68% of employees. Hispanic, Latino, and Spanish residents account for 12% of cannabis business owners and 12% of industry employees while Black and African-Americans residents make up about 5% of ownership and 6% of industry employees. Tetra Lounge is one of the three businesses in Denver to formally apply for the Cannabis Consumption Program, where customers can legally smoke, vape, or consume marijuana products. Colorado residents were only allowed to consume cannabis in their own homes until recent legislation allowed for uh, for these type of shops. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor. Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. And I'm out. 
We need consumption lounges in every city in the world. The world would be a better place. The one-to-one ratio, bars to consumption lounges. At least one-to-two, for sure. That would be dope. Just to allow people to be able to consume alcohol where they consume alcohol. Or consume cannabis where they consume alcohol, excuse me. Agreed. Yeah. Excellent story, Nicholas. And as a matter of fact, we also have a conservative tic-tac-toe on the right of the board, if you go straight down three, myself, Gretchen, and Nicholas. So that makes sure that you, when you vote, you vote red down ticket. But coming up next to the stage, it's Brandon Dorsky, rep in Long Beach, California Heavy. Our next correspondent is the CEO of Fruit Slabs and a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. And no amount of springtime Southern California rain can stop this man's beard. Coming next to the stage, it's Brandon Dorsky. <laughs> Thank you for having me today. Uh, today, my story has a legal theme. comes from Law 360. It's Pennsylvania Health Department. Health Department sued over cannabis vape product recall. The Pennsylvania Department of Health is under fire in a lawsuit filed by Medical Marijuana Access and Patient Safety, Inc. over a recent recall of hundreds of medical cannabis vape products. The Consortium of Cultivators, Manufacturers, and Dispensaries argue the department decision has cost the industry tens of millions of dollars and, quote, deprived patients of one of the most important forms of medical marijuana. The suit was launched on February 10th, and a judge's ruling on a preliminary injunction is pending. In this, in this recall situation, the court authorized recalled products be held in quarantine rather than destroyed until a decision is made. Council for Medical Marijuana Access and Patient Safety said the damages are estimated to be around $18 million. The products involved were approved for sale by the Department of Health for more than three years, but were recently recalled because they contained terpene additives. At least 670 products were covered by the recall. The recall was issued on February 4th, and it required recall of, quote, certain vaporization products containing added ingredients such as externally sourced flavorings or terpenes because, quote, they have not been approved for inhalation by the United States Food and Drug Administration. The, The consortium argued that the reasoning behind the recall is nonsensical and outside the authority of the Department of Health because terpene manufacturers do not submit research and testing to the FDA since terpenes are almost exclusively used in marijuana products and marijuana is still illegal. Note, terpenes are actually used in candles, aromatic sprays, cologne and perfume, and other products. But yes, terpenes are dominantly used in cannabis vaporization products. The complaint states the Department of Health's rationale for the terpene recall mandate not listed on that on FDA website as safe for inhalation is not only an impossible standard, but one not provided for in the Medical Marijuana Act. All the terpenes listed in the recall are actually listed on the FDA's website as safe for use in food and generally recognized as safe. The consortium also argued that the Department of Health may only recall products if a patient, caregiver, or practitioner makes a complaint And none of that happened here. So this product recall shouldn't have happened in the first place. And the DOH's actions, they argue, will drive patients to the illicit market to obtain the medicine that they need. The article notes the economic cost of the recall and the impact on the 150,000 Pennsylvania medical marijuana patients are overall net negative. And there is not a real benefit to this action by the Department of Health, given that there has been no recorded complaint from consumers or adverse experience from inhalation of vaporizer products infused with terpenes. Pennsylvania's program overall seems to be really under the scope of Big Pharma, if you ask me. There are bonds required simply to operate there. There's an absence of smokable flour. And now there's this recall that smells like the work of those that lobby the FDA. I don't know what's going on. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Brandon, I'm just going to push back just a little bit on the uh, generally recognized as safe um, tip thing thing that you said. Uh, Something may be safe when taken in orally, but be completely dangerous if you try to bring it into your lungs. Like vitamin E was safe to take orally, but to put it in a vape cartridge, you get, you know, lung um, pneumitis. And that was part of the Evali whole thing. So I just wanted to say that. I appreciate that, Dr. Felicia. Uh, I think that we, I, I am familiar with the fact that there are like aromatic sprays for rooms just to make them smell good. You spray those in the air. I assume that we inhale those. If those products are safe and allowed for retail sale in the United States, uh, 
I guess I think they might be safe, but absolutely. Combusting, heating things up, inhaling that into your lungs. Perhaps it should be tested, but making a bunch of patients suffer uh, and not have access to medicine that they feel they need and is making them feel better, even if it has some attendant risks to it, uh, let's allow the patients to get the medicine that makes them feel better. Yeah, I'm not buying that all those Glade Airwigs and Febreze sprayers are good for you to breathe in. I'm not buying that one for a second. Yeah, no. Well, they're not. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Brandon, I, I really don't know what is motivating uh, the Department of Health, frankly, in Pennsylvania. Um, the, the former head of it, she is now, uh, you know, part of the Biden administration. Uh, she's lieutenant, whatever, high up at the, in HHS. Um, and she kind of, she pushed along the medical program in Pennsylvania. So I don't know what is going on that they thought this was a bright idea. I think they're totally missing the mark. Um, I, I, the whole thing just baffles me, and it's just the most bizarre reasoning. I, I get what you're saying, Dr. Felicia. I totally, 100%, you know, but it just seems stupid. There is something about terpenes that we don't quite understand. I think um, when I used to be a hairdresser, people would buy hair care products just based on how they smelled, even though it had nothing to do with what was good for your hair. But it's just something about uh, smelling something that smells amazing to you um, that's really uh, important to humans for some reason. I used to Number date one girl. rule in weed. Oh, go ahead, Rico. I was just saying, I used to date a girl that was in a Aveda salon uh, professional, and she smelled excellent. It's the number one rule in weed. No smell, no sell. And actually, scientists and researchers have actually determined, too, that one of the main reasons that married couples actually break up is because they don't like each other's smell. I mean, there is some science to that, too. Interesting. Let's keep smoking the news. That good funk. <laughs> Up next, she's a, an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. She's also co-owner of the, one of the flyest IG pages on the team. Come to the stage next, founder of the cannabis blog and podcast, Shall We Toke, Shalina Panu. What you got for us today, Shalina? Thank you so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is, Could Cannabis Bong Smoke Be Worse Than Tobacco Cigarette Smoke? Secondhand cigarette smoke has been known to be dangerous, but a new study about cannabis bong smoke may be shocking for some cannabis users to hear. According to USA Today, a new study was published yesterday in JAMA Network Open, which you can click here to view, stating that non-smokers who inhale smoke from a bong are inhaling air pollutants at concentrations that are actually twice the federal air quality limits. The PM2.5 concentration levels in the air from secondhand cannabis bong smoke four times exceeded that of secondhand cigarette smoke. Here's what this study stated. This study was tested in a real-life setting by UC Berkeley researchers where young adults, presumably college students, were smoking casually within with others from a bong for two hours in a household living room, measuring fine particulate matters, PM 2.5. Researchers then placed an aerosol monitor next to a person who wasn't smoking. Uh, wasn't smoking. The monitor recorded PM 2.5 levels before, during, and after eight sessions of smoking. The results found that cannabis smoke from a bong significantly increased PM 2.5 within the first 15 minutes. The concentration levels exceeded safe air quality level standards by the Environmental Protection Agency. Studies have shown that long-term exposure to PM 2.5 could be a cause of lung and heart diseases due to the fact that these tiny particles can travel deep into the respiratory tract into the lungs, which impairs their function. Further, 12 hours after they stopped smoking, the PM 2.5 concentration levels were 10 times higher than it was what it originally was. This could mean that those who enter the home even hours after the smoking has ceased could also be impacted, which questions the effects on the health of children and others. An interesting point to note was that the windows and doors were closed throughout the study. However, for future research, they will see how ventilation plays a role in PM 2.5 levels. Health experts have noted that although these findings are noteworthy, we still need more research in this area before any sort of conclusions can be made about cannabis bong smoke versus tobacco smoke. Another interesting point to note is that the researchers did not have control on how much cannabis was smoked during the study. Although there are some factors to change in the next study, it's pretty clear that smoke of any kind can produce some levels of toxins, and as such, we should be cautious of the effect to some degree. To the doctors and scientists in the room, what are your thoughts on this study? My name is Shlaine, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
Uh, this is a, a, a research end around or research shell game. It, uh, studies already shown that smoking cannabis directly by Donald Tashkin, pulmonologist at UCLA, supported by NIDA, studied that smoking cannabis is not associated with lung cancer, oral cancers, uh, emphysema. There's there's poor correlation for that. So secondhand smoke and studying secondhand smoke and number of particles without associating it with any condition is just a, a way to bring up this topic again in a in a in a end around. That being said, don't take bong rips in the room with your asthmatic kid. Not a good idea. Um, Dr. Tyleround, real quickly there, would you call that the reach around? <laughs> I didn't. I, I called it the shell game or end around, former football player. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just call that shit fake news. <laughs> Dr. John, I do echo your um, recounting of that study about uh, smoking cannabis does not cause lung cancer. However, there have been a couple of studies since that that look at secondhand smoke from tobacco versus cannabis. And, you know, there's over 4,000 toxins generated with cigarette smoking, about 2,000 with cannabis. And cannabis and tobacco share about 160 of those toxins. Cannabis has so much more medicinal value that I think it helps to counteract those other toxins that it's generating. So that only thing you see is bronchitis and issues with um, periodontal disease. Um, but I think there's something to that. And I always recommend people, you know, you, it's okay to smoke every once in a while. But if it's something I do multiple times a day, I would definitely recommend an electronic vaporizer if you're taking it for medicine to bring it into your lungs. And Dr. Felicia, I'm done speaking. Uh, agreed, Dr. Felicia. I completely agree that, that uh, common sense says if you're inhaling ash, you're getting dirt in your lungs. I mean, it's just common sense. So and if you can avoid it, avoid it. And I Great say fuck that vaporation, vaporization <laughs> shit. That shit's for fucking millennials. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out with the final story because we need to keep moving. Um, the land of the free, home of the brave, well, maybe not so much in Las Cruces, New Mexico, at, lo- at least not free to consume cannabis. My article comes from Channel 4 News, and the headline is, Cannabis Consumption is Prohibited Outdoors in Las Cruces, Even on Parts of Your Property, by Giovanni Carrillo. Tomorrow, adult-use cannabis will be legal in New Mexico, but but in Las Cruces, officials are warning residents about some drastic restrictions. Robert Cabello, the, ch- the deputy chief attorney for the city of Las Cruces, said recreational marijuana is prohibited outdoors. Quote, the city, of course, prohibits the recreational cannabis consumption outdoors that is consistent with ordinance number 2986, said Cabrillo. According to him, people can consume it inside their own homes. Nonetheless, the city says there are still regulations people need to follow on their own properties. Quote, if you're in your front yard, it's not an area where you could be smoking. That's still probably your residence, but that's not a place where you can be smoking, he said. Now, if it's in your backyard, I would suggest an area that's probably closed off to the public, maybe where other people can't see, unquote. He added that any designated outdoor area where people can smoke tobacco, marijuana will not be allowed to be consumed. Quote, the only consumption areas allowed are indoors, said Cabello. Here is a list of things that can still get you in trouble after Friday. Any possession on school property or daycare is a misdemeanor. Public possession of two to eight ounces is a misdemeanor. Over eight ounces is a felony. Underage possession between 18 and 20 years is uh, old is a civil penalty. Selling to minors under the age of 18 is a felony. Driving under the influence is against the law. According to New, New Mexico Department of Public Safety Secretary Jason R. Bowie, quote, driving under the influence of drugs, including cannabis, puts others at risk. Plain and simple, New Mexicans should know that drivers who are impaired in the slightest degree can go to jail. Just don't get behind the wheel of, of a vehicle under the influence. So uh, New Mexico, good luck with uh 
adult use legalization. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this tomorrow. That was a really great show. We've reached the end of the hour. If you've missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Jaja Simone Brown for being our pinup girl today and Rico and Jason for co-producing the show. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. And if you're in New Mexico, don't ever admit to law enforcement. You've been tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. And Jason, what do we say when you have an encounter with law enforcement? Am I being detained or am I under arrest? We, We say shut the fuck up. Well, no, that's the, that's the action. That's not what you say. That's your the action. action. That's the, yes. Isn't yeah. that shit copywritten? Yeah. We, we, can be right. we can be using other people's shit. We can't even I can, say that? I can that? use whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Jesus, Lord. Say goodbye, Rico. Yeah. <laughs> goodbye, Prohibition. <laughs>